Hello everybody, so today's episode first actually aired on the Irish Fire podcast. It was an interview where Michael interviewed me um, a couple of months ago by now, just about how to get to financial independence as an employee. Something I'm doing myself right now, and I thought this interview would still be of value for the broader European audience. So yeah, anyway, I hope it will be of value. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. Hi, this is Matthias, and I want to introduce you this episode's sponsor, which is Everstate. Everstate is a real estate P2P aggregator, and with one account, you can build a diversified portfolio of projects of many different deal providers across 11 countries. What I really like about them is that Everstate founders also invest personal money in some of the projects, and you could choose to follow them to invest in these curated skin in the game projects manually or just using the auto invest feature like I do. With the three investment types, you can decide if you want to invest in property loans, equity or earn a steady income from rentals. Most projects are backed by collateral and you can expect returns between 5 and 18%. If you're interested, you can find more information at financial-independence.eu slash evoestate. That's spelled E-V-O-S-T-A-T-E. And you can find the link also in the show notes. Elva, thank you so much for being on the show today. Good stuff. Happy to be here, Michael. What I'm really excited to cover is specifically about the fact that you are employed as in you have a job, but you're also on a mission to become financially independent. So I know you've mentioned that you've got a savings rate from your job of around £1,500 a month. Do you want to go into that in a little bit more detail about how you were able to do that and what mindset you had around actually trying to get that much saved from a job? Most definitely. So I think it's first good to kind of like drill down into that number of 1500 So to get started with, roughly 300 of that goes straight into my pension fund, which is a tax-deferred account where I can, in the UK, we call this salary sacrifice. I can literally take 300 pre-tax income of that, boom, throw it into the pension fund. My employer will match that. So actually, it's 150 for my paycheck. An employer matches the rest. And then on top of that, the nice part comes, I obviously don't pay any tax over that. So that's an instant 33% savings return on that actual money that I uh, will effectively put in the tax deferred account. And then the remaining 1200 is simply, okay, I've got my cost of living, whatever comes in on a monthly basis. And my rent, I probably run around 700-ish pounds a month in living cost. The difference versus my salary, which is roughly 1200 pounds a month. But that goes into straight into a Vanguard account. In the UK, we've got something called an ISA. Effectively, again, tax deferred accounts. Savings account, yay, I throw the £1,200 in there and I buy ETF funds straight from Vanguard. So that combined makes the £1,500. And so that's 1200 straight in ETFs. And through my um, workplace pension, I have something that's equivalent to Vanguard. Unfortunately, a little bit more expensive, but it's getting close enough. But that's how I get that £1,500. I love it. It is so, so simple as well. I know that in the UK, there are some bigger tax advantages that we get here in Ireland. I know we've talked uh, with you before about the fact that in Ireland, we uh, hit with ETS at 41% tax on profits, which is no fun. But in saying that, obviously, you're taking advantage of the UK's lower tax on those ETS, which is fantastic. A lot of people might be saying, geez, you know, this guy's probably in his 30s or 40s, but you're not, Alva. Give us some background on, I guess, firstly, your own background is in regards to the countries you've lived in, but also uh, in relation to your age. I am 26. 
And the reason why do I do this? Well, I've always been kind of like weird with money, um, doing more things to save, going out of my way <laughs> to save 10 euro here and there. And that's just kind of like one of those philosophies that gets ingrained in you, just get so used to it. It's a philosophy of life. That's just kind of like how I got started with it. It's just from an early age, it's just a way I live. And a little bit of background on me. So born in the Netherlands, 26 years old. Uh, last year spent traveling around quite a bit. Um, Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland, New Zealand. At this very moment, UK. Interesting Brexit times, of course, with a pound. But hey, good place to be. And on top of that, um, well, work in IT. I've got a long-term partner live with her together. And that's also obviously why I can save quite a bit because all my costs are split at the same time. So one cool story, a little story is while we were back in New Zealand, we had um, the situation where we wanted to go on a long-term camping trip around the country. Uh, but I mean, we had money, but we just didn't want to spend much. So what did we do? We bought this really old crappy car for two grand, probably in euros, uh, converted it to camper van, traveled around for three months, lived in it, uh, cooked out of it effectively. So paid no rent, no camping fees, no nothing at all. Freedom camping is allowed in New Zealand, so that's awesome. And then now the cool part comes. In the end, after this three-month trip, we sold this car for probably double, yeah, actually double the price for 4,000 euro effectively. But yeah, sold it for double and used the money to uh, spend on the rest of the holiday. I think that really symbolizes how um, I tend to live, as in try to make, go as cheap as possible, as efficient as possible, and optimize all situations uh, you can get into. New Zealand is not a cheap place to go to. So the fact that you were able to do that is, uh, is fair play to you, which is amazing. And I'm assuming that that was at a nice time of year when maybe it was easy enough to live outside, which is fantastic. And so, I mean, what does financial independence look like for you then? I mean, obviously, I know that you've got some side hustles that you do as well. But just in relation to kind of your long term plan, I mean, the way that I always look at financial independence is I see it as a long term game. But I normally only look 12 months ahead because I think if you look too far into the distance, sometimes it can just feel too far away. Would you agree with that strategy or do you have a different take on it? I partly agree and partly disagree in a sense that, I mean, I definitely I have no clue what's going to happen in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I've already have where I would like to be. So that's why I'm setting myself up to have the funds available to do whatever I want at that very moment. But for now, I know for the distant future. I want to be employed right now in the UK. I like being here. So my philosophy is I do plan ahead and I have hopes and dreams. And I just, I'm going to set myself up to be ready for those. But at the same time, just enjoy the future or well, the near future right now. So that's kind of my take on that one. And in general, like, why do I want to become FI? That's just uh, more from actually getting into um, the option to have the freedom available to me, to be able to make the choices I care about. And have no employer personal situation force me to do things I do not want. Yeah, I hope that kind of answers the question, Michael. It does, Elver, it does. And I mean, one thing for me from reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I know you've read that book as well, is he touches on the fact that when you actually don't have a paycheck, you're forced for your brain to start looking at ways to make money. And I know for me, cutting down a part-time work, that's been quite interesting to see how I've started working on various projects and started to see ways that, that I could actually make money from those without me being paid directly for my time. I know you, yourself, given your personality as well, that when you finally give up that job and, and you know, you'll probably start working on various side projects anyway, you'll most likely find a way to get paid for it, uh, at least indirectly for your time. We know we mentioned it earlier in the beginning, or I mentioned as an it's just in my very nature, and I think for many people in the fight community, 
wanting to utilize places where we can leverage our skills. We see an opportunity to start a project and earn a couple of grants. We all dive into it and go for it. And that's the cool part. Because the moment you've got these funds in the bank, even if you're not fired, even if you just have to have your money and you just want to do something, you have the power. You can simply say to your employer, okay, I want more time off to do X, Y, Z. And if you don't like it, well, then so be it. And that's the cool part. The state of mind it's going to get you in, the opportunities that opens up. And that I really feel is the true power of fine. Yeah, of course, it's cool to have a few million in the bank. That, that's obviously awesome. But it's about the mindset aspect, the life aspect, and the way it improves your life and the way you're living, the whole philosophy around it. That is really my take. So, Alva, obviously, one of the challenges being employed is that you've obviously got a fixed income. You've got a fixed saving rate there of around £1,500 a month. How did you kind of combat that in terms of thinking about how you could perhaps bring more money in than the sort of limited fixed income that you were on? So I think honestly, the best way of doing that is side hustles. You can only do so much overtime in a week. And let's be honest, if you already do your job for 40 hours, do you really want to do it in another 10? In my case, that's side hustles. I've got a number of them going on that bring in uh, another portion of income, which I unfortunately, I'm not going to disclose. It is, in my case, part that comes on top of what I saved as in the 1500. Actually having the side hustles running, that brings in the extra cash on top of salary, save it into whatever it might be as in pension fund, as in actual investment accounts. Very often reinvesting in the business is, is, uh, brings up a far higher return than the stocks I'm investing in, but that's a flaw. Because for me, it's, it's not just the cash, it's also having something else to do than my main job, things I enjoy. Like, for example, the Financial Independence Europe podcast. What do I think? Like, if you would ask me as an employee, how do you get quicker to fly? You're in Ireland, you've got yourself a main job, you're earning 40, 50K. I've been informed by Michael that you break crazy tax rates over there. Can go all the way up to 50%, which sounds quite insane. But I know I've come close to most of the other European standards in terms of taxes. What can you do? Look in your life where side hustles are available, where opportunities can be used or utilized. So say, for example... You're working um, for your employer and tons of people will probably spend five, six euro on their lunch and go in town and just buy something random. Ever thought about that you can actually provide that lunch? That's something I've seen a number of my colleagues do um, a few years back in an office. They just started off for sandwiches. So they were like, hey, guys, we'll get you a sandwich for three euro per person. And that's it. They probably bought it for like 40 euro cents and sold to like 50 people at once. This is every single day during their lunch break. They got their own lunch for free made a nice profit over it. I was like, wow, that is smart. And obviously they had to ask uh, the employer for permission, which they gave. And that's, I think, a really practical, easy one. Almost everybody could kind of like implement. And besides that, let's look at the assets you've got in life. You are, you most likely own a house, a car, parking spot. Ever thought about renting those out? Airbnb, there must be other equivalents in Ireland as well, where you can actually uh, rent those assets out because they're not being used anyway. Hey, a couple of grand a year extra. Keep looking for different opportunities within your life and optimize everything from that. Are you aware of any like websites in Ireland, Michael, where you can rent out um, your possessions, like uh, going from uh, your car effectively to a shovel? I'm not aware of it, but I do know that I've heard of other people in Ireland doing it. So there must be systems in place. I know that there's schemes to rent car parks and things like that. So by all means, if any listeners do have any tips for us, then please get in touch with me so I can share it on the podcast. That's great advice. Also, be aware of your professional skill set. And what you are doing in your day job is probably extremely valuable to certain companies 
and they are willing to pay a far higher rate than the actual employer. It doesn't hurt to advertise yourself on LinkedIn as a consultant saying, hey, I am willing to do X, Y, Z for 150 euros an hour. Not as in your main job, because consulting can be extremely stressful. Probably, even if it just happens once or twice a year, it is extra cash. That's going to um, make like make it explode and allow you to invest extra in your business, in yourself, um, but also in the end, buy those shares, get the recurring income, get the dividend, keep reinvesting that and kill years of your actual the amount of time you still have to work to get to five. Say you need 12 years to get to financial independence. Throwing 100 extra a month into that calculation and seeing it like shaving off months and years of that actual year or number that is always pretty awesome. And that way, that's also the motivating part because like that's something I do myself. I've got a spreadsheet running where I simply have my fine number and five year on there. My fine number is roughly 400,000 getting to that number. And having the amount of years I need to save to get there. And then seeing, oh, a month less, a month less, a month less. Oh, you've sped up by 20% over the last month versus the other month, month over month. Those things I always really enjoy seeing. I think we all have our own spreadsheet. Find yourself an equivalent of it and work with that. I always find it quite motivating. The Matt Fientist has a really awesome tool in his file app on his website that uh, partly covers that. I believe there's one spreadsheet called the Spreadsheet to Rule Them All on the Mr. Money Moustache uh, forums. I mean, I'm sure, Michael, you also have your own equivalent of your uh, personal finance balance sheet. I've seen you publish it. I really like yours in terms of how extended it is and uh, also the peer-to-peer lending component, uh, which is maybe something we can also cover on later on how I actually invest the money beyond ETFs uh, on a monthly basis. Excellent. Well, look, let's not uh, wait any longer, Elvis. So fill us in. I mean, I know you do have some peer-to-peer lending investments. So what's your strategy around that? And what percentage of your investment portfolio do you kind of see going into peer-to-peer lending? At this very moment, I think I have roughly 20% of my investment portfolio in peer-to-peer lending. And it's also, to be honest, that's my max. I don't want to go much beyond that. But the reason why it's already this high, simply because the actual returns I can make in the stock market are getting more and more limited. Things are extremely overpriced in many, many industries which doesn't stop me from buying ETFs, but it stops me from piling all my cash and all my money into them because I feel if I go all into ETFs, just like everybody else does, that's risky. And that might be really weird for some people to hear that I consider it risky to put all my money into ETFs and solely rely on them. Why do I think it's risky? If everybody does the exact same thing over and over again, I'm not comfortable with that. And at the same time, the whole process we've uh, had going on with large institutions collecting trillions of actual ETFs, holding the actual automated computer tracking approaches, and simply if the market drops by 2%, ETF will drop automatically 2% with it. Does it really matter from a day-to-day? No, it doesn't. But I find in those situations, don't always do the exact same thing everybody else is doing. I mean, it has proven and it has worked as an investment industry or investment approach, so I am still doing it. But more or portion of my cash is going towards alternative investments like peer-to-peer lending in my case. That's Groupair, Investio and Mintos. And how do I invest in them? For me, it's literally I am not interested in loan picking or spending hours on automating and setting up like the exact perfect settings on those platforms. I go for all of them. I go for the auto-invest options. I go for a relatively safe, conservative approach. I'll take my 10-12% on an annual basis. Actually, I've never ever lost a euro on peer to peer It's also fair to mention everybody's always extremely scared of it. I have never lost a single euro on it so far. And I've been doing it for three years now. If you uh, talk about the European platforms, 
and probably five or six if you consider the Dutch early investments I made. Okay, all nice and good. Peer-to-peer lending, 10, 12%, 20% of my portfolio. What I've got running besides that. So I overdid my ETFs. I've got a bond component that's been actually increasing over the last months, given uh, the value of the stock markets and me actually figuring out the number of interesting uh, bond investments. It's mainly just a bond fund, London Sterling Extra Yield, where I'm investing in that offers a 5.1% yield after expenses. Those are kind of like the, um, the side investments I've got. I've also have got a dividend growth investment portfolio. So what is it effectively? I invest in dividend stocks. Those dividend stocks pay out a monthly, yearly, quarterly, whatever amount. I reinvest that amount again and again, year over year. I've been doing that for the last decade. And I buy companies like AT&T, Vodafone, Coca-Cola, Nestle, Unilever. Um, and hopefully at some point in life, I can draw cash from uh, those investments. Because one take for me as well as an employee and as an investor in general, I like having cash flow. Peer-to-peer lending gives me cash flow. Dividend stocks give me cash flow. Do ETFs give me cash flow? Yeah, they do in terms of some minor dividend yield of like 2%. If I actually want to uh, pocket money, I have to sell ETFs. Do I have to sell peer-to-peer lending? I mean, I can technically sell them, but I just pocket interest. Hey, interest, yeah, thanks. Dividend stocks, they pay dividend. I do not have to sell shares. Simply paid out because I live in the UK. I don't pay tax given that all those investments are within ISA. Uh, which stops me from actually paying dividend tax over it. In other countries, dividend income is uh, often fairly inefficient because you have to pay uh, tax over the actual uh, dividend income at your actual income tax rate, which often quite hurts. Anyway, so those are kind of like the components of the portfolio I've got going. And I know I'm expanding and going a bit beyond your original questions, but I like this too much, Michael. So I am just going to make it a bit more broad and beyond that. So we've got the dividend component. We've got the ETF components, the bond components, and the peer-to-peer lending components. And those combined kind of like form my portfolio. Does that give me the best possible return on every euro I've got? Probably not. There are probably more efficient ways of doing it than my way. But my way works for me in terms of that it's diversified. It gives me cash flow. And I'm utilizing the strategies I know and I've seen working uh, for others and back in the past. I am not a genius. All the things I have done, I am utilizing ideas and skills of others. I do not think it's good for me to decide, oh, this company is the best in the world. I'll throw all my money in there. I think it's far smarter to find people who are smarter than me. Pick their brains. Like yourself, Michael, ask yourself great questions and kind of like grow from there and Use those ideas because we mentioned intelligent investor from Warren Buffett or from Ben Graham earlier. Tons and tons of books we can use. We can utilize websites like Investopedia, Seeking Alpha, You Finance, the Motley Fool, the Investors Podcast, and many more. I feel comfortable enough assessing their ideas um, and saying, is this for me? Yes or no. If they have done hours and hours of research on an idea and it works, I am happy to take that. Is there risk involved with it? Totally. But by picking the best brains in the industries, by seeing proven investment approaches, combining them all at once, I feel that that's the approach I feel most comfortable with. So that in a nutshell is how I invest, when I invest, and my uh, investment philosophy in a nutshell. (laughs) I hope that makes sense uh, for you, Michael. Yeah, excellent, Elva. And I think the key here is that there's two aspects for me, and I, I think you've touched on a couple of things, which I also feel the same is that firstly, the importance of diversification. So making sure that your portfolio is diversified as much as possible. You touched on that with the ETFs that, you know, you could just be pouring 100% in there, but the importance of diversification is critical. 
And the second thing, which I think is somewhat underestimated, is you as the investor, you need to be comfortable with what you're actually investing in. And I think you touched on that when you mentioned that you wouldn't go beyond 20% in peer-to-peer lending. I'm I'm getting there myself. I, I have had up to 40% in peer-to-peer lending, but I'm finding I'm starting to diversify away from that a little bit more because I want to feel more comfortable with it. I, I often have said on the show that peer-to-peer lending hasn't been through a recession yet, so we don't know what impact that would have if there were to suddenly be a market crash tomorrow. So I think from that point of view, you've got quite a, a smart portfolio. Obviously, you're using tax-deferred accounts, which we don't have access to in Ireland. The fact that you're doing that is genius and obviously saving yourself a ton of money. One of the frustrations I have in Ireland is I feel like we take all the risk as the investor, but the government gets their half. So from that point of view, it's not always so fair. So one question I would love to touch on, and I've touched on this a few times on the show, is the relationship that you have with your girlfriend from a financial point of view. So we don't need to go into intimate details, but just more around uh, actual budgeting and getting her on board with a lot of the stuff, because probably the most common question that I get from the show is, hey, I want to be financially independent. How do I get my partner on board? So would you mind sharing some tips about how you've been able to kind of bring her on board with all of this stuff and, you know, some of the daily challenges, I guess, of trying to do this as a couple? I've had it pretty easy because my partner has been on board from the very beginning. I've been dating my partner for six years and she thinks like me if it comes to money terms in terms of budgeting, in terms of how we approach things, and of the larger financial goals as in getting to financial independence. She also likes working. She likes to be active. She doesn't want to retire. She would love to have the option to have the availability to retire, to make her own choices. So from our perspective... I probably got started with the whole five stuff two years ago. And obviously I am far more of a geek than she is. And I love picking out those shares and stocks. And she's more like, okay, you do the uh, research approach. You figure everything out. Here's my money. Do whatever is needed and invest it in the most efficient way possible. She's absolutely aware of the risks, how things are done. And she wants to know. She asks me questions on that. So our relation kind of is, I am the money manager in terms of like the strategic choices. But yeah, we, we have our finances at this very moment split in the sense of the holdings we've got. I mean, we've got shared savings account and shared goals and shared checking account, shared bills, etc. Um, but in terms of like our actual savings are split. The, the longer you're together, the more you move things uh, together in terms of actual assets you've got. And our philosophy, um, yeah, we'll both get to five, but I do the strategic part and we'll make the money together in the end. And like, where do we struggle? Well, I am extremely frugal sometimes. I honestly, believe me, I could be uh, the person walking by like a restaurant and she's like, oh, let's go for dinner there. I'm like, but it's expensive. It's 25 euro and I only want to spend 12 and a half on that steak. So no, can we go somewhere else? Like that's the main thing I could have in, on occasions. It's just being far and far too frugal. She came from a good middle-class family. Me as well, but I uh, have been raised with times where there was less money available and kind of, and also through my own way of reasoning and frugalism, kind of like um, developed a scarcity mindset on actual spending money. This is years and years back, but I definitely struggled with that, just not being able to spend on things I enjoy. And she's actually the one who taught me that, to spend more money, uh, because I used to live on 400 euro a month as a student in the Netherlands which the Netherlands runs on a similar price uh, level or equivalent as Ireland. So, I mean, you can probably realize living of 400 euros a month and actually being able to do that, and yeah, that's just insane. The point I want to make more is, from that whole background and history, I've had, always had this frugal issue 
And I think that's honestly our main thing, kind of like getting that straight. The investment approach, getting to FI, that's always been working well for us. And I guess I'm really blessed with that. For many people, that's far harder. Actually getting your partner on board and convincing them of this crazy dream of, hey, I want to become financially independent. Do you want to join me? Right now, we are doing amazing in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess the key here is you found somebody who shares the same ideas and philosophies as yourself. And look, I'm the same very much with my partner. I'm probably the more frugal one. So there are times where I need to kind of grit my teeth a little bit, so to speak, and just go and, and have that nice meal. The advice I would give you on that, by the way, is have some money that you're prepared to spend on things like going out for dinner. And then you can actually go and enjoy it a little bit more than because uh, I often find when you go to a nice restaurant, the first thing you do is you actually don't look at the menu on the left side, you look on the right side, because you're saying, well, what's the cheapest, and I'm going to order that one. And for me, it's quite nice to get away from that mindset when you go out and have a nice restaurant. I really like that menu reference you made. But when I start looking on the left instead of the right, when I first open up the menu, then I can actually consider myself five. Maybe one last uh, mention on that one, because right now, how do we budget? We budget completely organically in the sense that we don't have a fixed amount for dinner, breakfast, uh, shopping, car, etc. In our case, it's literally just, okay, um, XYZ comes in a month and we just simply spend. I know I spend roughly 700 a month because I've got my fixed outgoings and I run a check at the end of the month. Hey, how much did I roughly spend? Yeah, cool, awesome, good. If I want to spend 100 on dinner this month, I will spend 100 on dinner. Next month, I might spend nothing. But it's just, I don't believe in fixed budgets. I believe in just spend wherever you get the value that very moment in your life. And I just simply know I will always find the most efficient way and live cheaply. And I guess that's something that just comes naturally to, to me. So that's why I don't have to worry about really budgeting. And if I ever go over budget or spend too much or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, it definitely happens. I'm going to go on holiday next month. I'll probably spend 1500 that month. But I do believe that uh, what I like about that approach actually is by not spending the time on like the enforced budgeting anymore, I'm saving time. It makes me more relaxed. And in the end, it's just if something has value at that very moment and I want it, I will get it and job done. Yeah, I, I think the key to your approach, Elva, has been the fact that that £1,500 a month is taken out before you even see it. By doing that, you know that you can effectively live off the rest. And provided there's still money left, you know that you're still hitting your savings targets. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, indeed. And that's, it's also correct. I probably should have mentioned that, but this whole approach is automated. Yes. As in the 1200 via um, just an auto, an auto deposit, it's taken off my account, goes to my Vanguard ISA, or effectively the tax deferred account in the UK I'm using, and the 300 from pension just goes straight off my paycheck. Which, yeah, indeed. And I also would recommend everybody to do that because it makes it so much easier. I'm sure you have a brokerage company in uh, Ireland that offers a similar service or just set it up yourself, set up uh, an automatic order from your bank account, from your checking account, boom to your brokerage, invest the money, don't look at it, get it done. The key is right, you want it to feel like it's just another expense. And then after a while, you don't even think about the fact that you have to do this. If you've got to manually do it, then it can feel a little bit more awkward or you might forget to do it that month or whatever. Um, whereas by having it go out automatically, it certainly does make a big difference in terms of the mindset. It's a waste of time spending your own time on it, manually doing it. Because do you really want to spend your time on clicking around? I mean, for the first few times, yeah, do it because it gives you awareness. But in the end, in the long run, automate whatever you can automate investment-wise. It keeps costs low. It makes it easy. It gives peace of mind. Absolutely. I would recommend it to everybody. One last call I would probably make on that in terms of diversification on the brokerage components. 
do have multiple brokerage companies um, that you're using if you go beyond like portfolios of like 50k or so, given that I don't know how it works in Ireland, but in the Netherlands, there are maxes on how much the state will cover if like, for example, a brokerage company goes bankrupt in terms of the cash you've got in a company. And also simply for diversification purposes, have multiple brokerage companies, same as I've got multiple bank accounts in different countries and different currencies. Having that available um, to, you know, if something really goes down, that's I have always the second bank account or the second brokerage company to work with. Elva, thank you so much. I, I felt like you gave some great nuggets of information today. Just in relation to if people wanted to, to get in touch or to hear more about uh, what you have to say on financial independence, what's the best way for them to, to find you? Absolutely. So I run a podcast called the Financial Independence Year podcast together with my co-host Matthias. And Michael is also one of the co-hosts, which is awesome. So come and listen to us on the Five Year podcast. You can find us wherever you listen on your podcast. And if you ever want to reach out, you can send us an email to financialindependenceyearpodcast at gmail.com. Send an email over there and we'll happily answer and talk about whatever you want to talk about. And yeah, always happy to chat. And yeah, obviously you can find us on every major platform. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, go and find us there. Give us a like. And yeah, obviously the website as well, financial-independence.eu. That's where you can find all the show notes and tons of cool stuff about our podcast. And yeah, hopefully we'll start uh, writing some personal budget articles on that one uh, in the future soon as well. So yeah, come and check us out. Thanks, Alva. I'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes. So lastly, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, all the best with your financial independence journey going forward. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are not enough financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>